everyone, and welcome once again to round 18 of Don the Start. Um, we've got the Gold Coast Suns up this week, which is going to be another really interesting challenge for us. Uh, good to be back on our home deck. Uh, as always, welcome to my co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, how are you, mate? Uh, I think I'm doing about as well as you. We were, we were talking about how we've both sort of come down with a, a bit of a winter cold. Um, mine's not COVID yet, and you've obviously had it in the last uh, last few weeks, but yeah, might, the the voice quality of this episode might not be the best. <laughs> yeah, the the dulcet tones probably aren't going to be quite the levels that they normally are, mate. But we'll uh, we'll we'll push on through. How's the week been? Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, first, I want to give a big shout out to Todd Davy uh, for coming on and being our second guest for our bonus episodes. I got a lot of, a lot of really good feedback uh, chatting to him. It was really really fun chatting to him. I think he's. As 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 fun as he appears on Twitter, so that was a really that was really fun to do, and the game really pleased with the reception there. Um, I've got another interview lined up t- tomorrow night, and I'll hopefully have that out on Monday as well. Another different perspective, I think, on being an Essendon fan, which I think people will really enjoy. And I also want to give a big shout out to the Big Footy Bombercast for having me back on to review the Brisbane game. Uh, give them give them a look uh, during during the next couple of weeks. Uh, they do a really good job. Uh, of sort of that that post match review, post match review stuff. So yeah, go give them a look as well. Yeah, and I've got to give a shout out to the two new listeners. As you know, I was up in Queensland last weekend and stayed with my brother and his his family. And uh, Cooper and and William, my two oldest nephews, have both uh, downloaded Dom the Stat on their iPad and, and have subscribed. So they'll be they'll be listening. They'll, they'll probably be close to going to bed now, but they'll listen in tomorrow morning. So Cooper and William, g'day boys. It was good to, to catch up and spend some time with you both uh, last weekend. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Brisbane, let's get into the review of that game. Now, obviously, we, we did our recording uh, Thursday afternoon. It was the earliest recording that we've ever done. And then obviously... Brisbane had about 700 outs between our recording and the game. So a lot of what we said may not have been as relevant by the time the game rolled around, but I think there's a lot of points that we can look at and and go back on before looking at the game more broadly. So I think the first point we we looked at was trying to separate the forwards to limit their intercept marks. So uh, of the players that played, uh, Adams and Stasevich were both in there, missing their number one interceptor in Harris Andrews, who'd normally get seven. Uh, sorry. So, but uh, yeah, we could probably talk about Sarsovic a bit later, but he had eight, but Adams only had three. So we did a really good job at limiting his effectiveness as an interceptor. And uh, they brought in Payne, who, who had six, but also obviously really struggled to handle Peter Wright. What were your thoughts there? Yeah, I think Payne got right a few times early, didn't he? Um, uh, but I think what did work really well was was Harry Jones did a really good job of of restricting Adams's run at the ball and, and just kept him occupied, occupied and busy. Jones didn't get a lot of uh, stats himself, but it was it, it allowed uh, Peter Wright to get more one on ones with Payne. And as the game went on, and, and um, Peter Wright was able to run and jump and lead at the ball, he obviously had a bigger and bigger impact. So yeah, I thought the, the lads did a, a really good job in that area. Yeah, and I think one one person really stands out was Langford. You know, he did he's obviously a really smart player. Um, they didn't give him. They didn't give him the respect that he deserved in the in that first half, particularly. And I think it was it was after Langford sort of got that three goals that they, you know, it freed up right a bit and allowed him to do what he did in the second and third, the second half, and onwards from there. So again, it sounds like he's going to be playing a lot more forward 
for the rest of the year. So again, having someone of his his class down there, it's going to make us more effective kicking for goal. Well, I think just between him and Peter Wright, they're, they're pretty reliable set shots, aren't they? And that's not something we've said about too many Essendon players of, of late, maybe besides Waller. So yeah, I think to have two there and, and Jones hasn't quite hit his straps yet this year, but he's, he's ordinarily a pretty reliable set shot as well. So yeah, I think that was really pleasing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the next point, which was clearance. So when we looked at Brisbane, one of the things we identified was that when they lose, they lose the stoppage clearances and they, they, they lose quite heavily. They lose that by, by 10. So we identified that as a key area that you could get on top. And for the first half, it was actually, we were actually tracking that way. We, had, we were up five stoppage clearances at half time, and yet Brisbane uh, were up in the centre clearance. And that sort of reversed in the second half. So the clearances basically ended up uh, even at the end of the game. But what we did see, and probably the most effective aspect of our clearances, was that we were able to get scores from particularly centre clearance. We kicked six goals to one from centre clearance. You know, and in, in the end, in a, in a game that was decided by 10 points, that was a, a big difference there. Yeah, that's a huge result, isn't it? And I, I think we, whilst they came back in the second half from stoppage, we we did do a really good job of restricting their their ability to get the ball on the outside and set up their, their uncontested game. So, uh, you know, we kept Brisbane to, to 34 kick. You know, we, we spoke last week about how they're a real kick mark sort of team and, and we kept them to 34 kicks below their season average, which is about a 15% drop off of, of what they normally go at. And their uncontested possessions were 38 below their season average, which is about a 19% drop uh, drop off. And then, you know, their mark differential to us was 33 or minus 33. Their previous worst this year was minus 10. So, you know, granted they had some players out, albeit not too many of them would have impacted their, their midfield play. Um, yeah, Barry was obviously a bit of a loss for them, but they, uh, yeah, we had Parrish out, which probably evens that up. Uh, so yeah, the, the midfields were, were pretty evenly balanced, and I thought we we won the day. And uh, yeah, our next point was at the time we thought Darcy Parish might still be a chance to play, and, and we wanted him to take Neil at the stoppages. And, and in the end, we got a, a, a pleasant surprise with Caldwell going to him and, and effectively uh, having you know what was a tag, but. Uh, got really dangerous himself, got plenty of the ball, kicked that goal in the last quarter, which, you know, I think really just um, was a bit of a, a cherry on top for the game that he played. So, um, yeah, I think I think that was a was a huge effort. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's two weeks in a row now where we've had one of our, our midfielders go to another player, nullify them and also be attacking the other way. So last week or the previous week against the Swans, it was Parrish on Mills really limiting his game and still being able to be uh, dangerous. So I think Caldwell's game is probably a level above what Parrish did on, on Mills. And again, with Brisbane's outs, they were really relying on, on Neil to, to provide, you know, a lot of their, a lot of their drive and spark. And we really kept him down in terms of his numbers. And yeah, we, we identified it was basically half, half, percent half half possessions and, and half the clearances he normally would have and half the meters gained. So Caldwell did an amazing job there and it's a really good uh arrow to have in the quiver that you can pull out, you know, someone someone doing that job and then also being um attacking the other way. The other thing that I think was a really um strong feather in his cap too is I, I don't think this would have been shown on the tally because it, it happened after a goal. So I imagine they would have gone to an end break but he, um, Mitch Robertson came off the bench, so he and was running across to the wing on the far side of the ground, and 
and lined up Caldwell and, and hit him from behind. So just dropped his shoulder straight into Caldwell's back. Uh, the umpires unfortunately didn't see it, but it didn't do too much damage. And Caldwell just, you know, sort of laughed it off. But I think that was a strong sign that, yeah, Brisbane had recognised that their mm. Brownlow medalist was getting his pants pulled down a bit and Mitch Robinson took it upon himself to try and do something about it. Yeah, and again, you know, when when they start doing things like that, you know you're getting on top. Now, yeah, yeah, we talked about, obviously, Rich was out early in the week and so we identified uh, Keaton Coleman as the, as the key person to stop. Uh, but then obviously he he was out with health and health and safety protocols. And so what that what that meant was that Starsevich was probably the one that that got off the leash, and it was it was really him driving from from half back. But I I felt kept them in the game, and I think we've talked about this a lot. That occasionally we've been able to lock down on the distributor from half back, but it's not something we're doing consistently. And, and as you pointed out in our our planning, uh, he was probably their best player. He had twenty six disposals and six hundred one meters game. Yeah, I, I mean he is a, a really good player, isn't he? he? He's not as creative as some of the guys that that they had out. So we we probably got the benefit of that, but he still did a fair bit of damage and was the one that really drove them forward. So yeah, there might've been a bit of a missed opportunity there to maybe swing Guelphie or, uh, or Snelling onto him for a while to just try and limit his effect. I think he, he was on Stringer for a fair chunk as well. So he did a pretty good job of restricting Stringer's, uh, you know, scoring opportunities too. So yeah, I mean, Let's not be too greedy, but uh, it was probably the one one thing that happened that maybe we could have done a little bit more to, to try and limit. Absolutely. And the final point was to make McCluggage uncomfortable, try and take him, try and take him deep, uh, try and try to be physical with him. So I think you identified players like Durham and, and Draper and Redmond. Obviously, Redmond didn't end up playing, but to make him uncomfortable. I didn't, I don't know, we, did you notice any of that at the game or was it more just working, outworking him in terms of running him off his legs? Yeah, it wasn't sort of in a style that we did the week before with with Parker and bumping him and and you know being aggressive against him. But certainly thought when he was on the wing, we uh, and at half forward, we really heard him going the other way. He, he's not a player that likes to chase. Uh, and you know, if he played for Essendon, I reckon there would be lots of Dylan Shield style moments in the media of him this year because he's he, you know you, you sort of get away with a few more things. I reckon when you win, and, and he's one that. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't put a lot in in terms of defensive effort. And I think when Hind was on him, when he was at half forward, Hind really hurt him. And I think Hind was you know, up there with Peter Wright as, as one of the best players on the ground, um, along with Caldwell as well. And and then when he was on the wing, I thought, I thought Durham and, um, and uh, Langford Martin for a while, Heppel. Uh, they, yeah, Heppel. They they really worked hard offensively and and made sure they presented as options and, and used the ball really well. So, yeah, I I thought we uh, yeah we obviously limited his effectiveness too. So he still had twenty nine disposals, but if I remember correctly, he had more handballs and kicks, or it was about fifty fifty. His meter meters gained was right down compared to normal, and and only went at fifty eight percent efficiency. So, I think uh, yeah, I, I think it was a big tick. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, and you know, it doesn't necessarily you don't necessarily have to keep a player to, you know, under ten disposals to to limit their effectiveness. You know, you, they can still get a lot of disposals, but they they're not as effective with those disposals. So again, I think yeah, as as you sort of said, that's another win for Essendon there. So I guess we're probably going to talk a little bit this more later, but you know, what what did we learn from this? What did we learn from this game? What's the what's the takeaways? Because there's a lot of talk in the media, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later about 
you know, the value of the of these wins. But I think any any time you play, whether you win or lose, you have to take you have to take something from it. So what did what did Essendon learn about their side from this game? Yeah, I I was more worried going into the game once I heard their team than I was before it was announced, uh, funnily enough. And I was really concerned about, you know, our mental strength and whether we might just switch off. And I guess like Hawthorne did to us earlier in the year, we had five changes that were, you know, happened an hour before the game. I think we had a player literally in the car. Was it Durham maybe in the car on the way to the game? And he had to make the phone call and pull out. So, uh, and, you know, we were able to get that win. So, yeah, I... I've been. I was a bit worried that that maybe we might have seen this as a bit of an easy kill and and try and you know coast our way through the game again against a Brisbane team that still had plenty of quality in their midfield, plenty of quality uh, in their in their forward line. You know that they, they pretty much. I know McStay was out, but you know they they really had their their first choice forward line had some really good players down there, and you know still had Marcus Adams and and Stasevich down back as, uh, who were really good players as well. So and you know they, they on their home deck playing for a home final and a double chance to, to you know, try and lock in a, a top four spot. So, you know, arguably Brisbane had way more to play for than we did. So, uh, so yeah, I, I was worried about it. But, um, and yeah, I thought it was a bit of a strange game. I actually thought we looked really tired and fatigued. I thought we fumbled a lot. So, I, I don't think the effort dropped off at all. So, I don't think we, you know, the way the game played out, my concerns about, about effort or switching off was certainly alleviated. But, uh, we just looked a little bit fatigued and, and yeah, quite fumbly. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the plus sides were, you know, we found a way to win. Um, every time Brisbane challenged us, including right at the end, you know, twice they got back under, a, uh, you know, within a kick and, and we challenged back and kicked another goal. We, we just had an answer for everything that they threw at us. I think that we learned that our defenders are, are exceptional and they've found confidence again. You know, Laverde's game on, on Joe was was outstanding. He played Joe like, you know, a textbook way to play Joe Danaher, take his hip, get him off balance and um, and outwork him. I thought Ridley was really good again. You know, Jay Kelly got his spot back in the side and played a really good game on Charlie Cameron. Um, and, you know, all credit to him for that. And, yeah, first to put my hand up to say I, I haven't had Jake Kelly on my duffel coat this year. So, uh, yeah, he, he did a really good job. And, and then um, I wasn't sure whether it was Brendan Sir Thatcher or Dustin Fletcher down at fullback in the, in, particularly in the last quarter. Um, so yeah, I think we, we've we've found something there. Um, McCarthy on on McGrath and then D'Ambrosio is probably the one that got away a little bit, but um, you know McCarthy's a really good player. And then Ruckman kicked three between them, which was probably a bit of a loss. But overall, I think we can take a lot of solace out of the way our defenders played. We obviously learnt that Caldwell has the capability to go and do a defensive midfield job and win ball as he does it. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of really good taggers over the last you know number of years running around the AFL, but uh, you don't often see guys that can restrict an opponent and also win ball and use it as well as he did too. So yeah, I think that was was big. Uh, last week we changed up Merritt's role uh, and and we ran that again. And I think that's something that's starting to work really well. So. Um, you know what he's been doing particularly earlier in the game is he's been starting at half forward and then he's the one that's switching with Stringer so Stringer starts in the centre square um, pushes forward after the bounce and, and Merritt then goes into the midfield and um, yeah, I think that's really effective because it gives the opposition two real quality players to have to watch in the handover and, and I thought that worked really well again and, and again Zach Merritt played uh, you know one of his best games of the season uh, and then I just thought we learnt 
that we've got a group that wants to win and they'll keep finding a way and there's a bit of resilience building into them that that wasn't there earlier in the year so yeah I, I think we should be really happy to come away from that with a win and um, you know, do the job that arguably we should have done despite the fact you know Brisbane had a lot of outs uh, we were still a, a lesser experienced side than than what they were so yeah I I was quite happy with it mate yeah I think I think we should I think you know there's a bit of, sometimes there's a bit of a, a narrative in the media about about teams and they don't necessarily look at the specifics of, of each game and you know to be fair to, to fair to those in the media they've got to look at a lot of the times they've got to look at nine games in a round so they're not examining a team like Essendon as closely as we are uh, so you know you, you give them a bit of leeway for that but Come on, yeah I, don't, I, go, I, don't go soft on the media now uh, look I've, I've, I've tempered in my older age you know, <laughs> anyway fair enough Speaking of the media, let's get into the news. And I think the biggest news this week is going to be at the VFL with Michael Hurley coming back. Uh, finally, after almost two years out with his, with his hip, he's going to be returning for the VFL uh, this Sunday. Uh, so just, I think it's just a, a great story. And the fact he's even back playing VFL, I think it's a big win for the club. And I think it's one of those one of those things that, you know, even if, even if Hurley retires after this year or... Uh, you know, even even if he doesn't, never plays another senior game. It's the sort of effort that can inspire inspire players. You know, he he, he I think the reports were he almost went close to death um, with his with his infection. So the fact that he's been able to make it back, you know, is a real inspiration. And and hopefully a lot of the other players take take from that 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 resilience and that willingness to to get back to get back to his best and 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 build on that. Yeah, absolutely. We've also seen him, you know, do some line coaching with the VFL team as well, whilst he's been uh, in the rehab program. So it says a lot about the guy. And uh, um, yeah, he was one of, uh, you know, obviously re-signed a big new contract after the the drama a number of years ago as well. So yeah, he recommitted to the club when, and I think even before that, he had that massive offer from Richmond. Didn't need to go there. So yeah, he's been he's been a loyalist in person and. yeah, he, he might look at the bomb now and see the weather forecast of, you know, 15 degrees and 15 mils of rain out at Windy Hill on Sunday and, and maybe wait till we play Southport the following week up on the Gold Coast and um, delay it by a week. But, um, but yeah, I think it's it's really exciting that he's back, mate. And, uh, yeah, I, I, the the experience that he'll be able to provide, you know, someone like Brand and, and the like down there on Sunday, I think will be... Um, will be significant too. So, yeah, hopefully he gets out there and has some fun and gets a kick, mate, and builds up for another big one next week and, and we can see him in the senior side at some point later this year. Absolutely. And then probably the other big news to come out of this week was the the contract issues with, with Franklin and, and Sydney. Now, you know, sometimes sometimes these things are just put into the media to, to you know, get, get parties to move back closer together. But we... we you know, I think any side would be silly not to look not to look at him at least and consider whether he's a good fit for their side. Uh, so I did a Twitter poll on this, and I think from the Essendon fans' perspective, it's generally a no. Uh, so it was about seventy four percent no from about one hundred and sixty votes. So pretty definitive there from from the fan side. Do you think there's 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 not a there's not a monetary issue in terms of Essendon getting him in with, with the cap space? And I think there's an argument that you know having someone of his quality for others to learn off is something that could be beneficial to the side. What are your thoughts as to terms yeah. of potentially approaching him? I'm, I'm really on the fence on this one to, to be honest. I, I, I can see it both ways. I, I guess the thing that I, I, I don't know is whether he's someone who's, 
who's prepared to come in and, and play a second or third forward sort of role. Because let's be honest, he's he's unlikely to be around when we're a legitimate uh, contender to win a flag. So, um, uh, you know, is he? I don't know much about his his sort of leadership side of his game and, and whether he's prepared to come in and teach someone like Harry Jones how to play. And how does Buddy Franklin even teach someone how to play? Like, you know, the guy's a freak. He's, he's probably the well, – he's not probably. He's, he's the best forward of, of our – I guess the modern generation, you know, sort of post-Lockett and Dunstall and co. So if he's got that in his game and in his kit bag and he can come in and be a really positive influence, I'm a big fan, as you know, of getting some experience on the list that can teach these guys. But if he wants to come and be – um, you know, the Buddy Franklin that leads out of the goal square and, and tries to kick four or five goals a game, then then maybe he's not the right fit. So I think, yeah, I, I'm sitting on the fence just because I, I, I'm really not sure on, on what we'd be getting, uh, yeah, getting ourselves I think in too much. The one, the one point from this season that, that gives me a lot of pause is that when Buddy Franklin's been in the Sydney side, Logan McDonald's really struggled. And, you know, I, I think... That's potentially what could what could happen to someone like a Harry Jones. You know, he'd struggle struggle for opportunities, and you sort of want those players coming through, especially when, as you say, it's, we're not going to win a premiership next year. I think he'll go somewhere with, with with the money, but also someone that's a realistic flag chance. Which you know, barring barring an ex, um, exceptional improvement, probably not going to see from Essendon. And I guess the final thing before we move on to starting to look at the Suns. Uh, there's been a game talking about media narratives. There's been a, a media narrative about junk wins for Essendon. Uh, I think since, uh, other than 2020, when I think we started five and two, uh, it's been since about 2013, 2014, when we've started the, se- the season with a positive uh, positive win ratio in the first half of the season. And we sort of, you know, come back, come back towards the end of the season and either uh, scrape into the finals or push into the finals. What do you think of the idea that, the wins that we, we've gotten in the last four weeks are, are junk wins. Yeah, I, I don't think much of it, to be honest. The, the graphic that was shown, I think, on Footy Classified was an interesting one because the the comparison was really different. Like one year they were comparing the first 10 rounds, another year it was the first six, the other year it was the first eight or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think there's such a thing as, as junk wins, mate. Um, yeah, I think someone made the comment that, that Rutten's only winning games now when the pressure is off. And I'm not sure the pressure on him was ever any higher than it was after that that round was around nine game against the Swans and then after the Carlton game as well. I think the pressure was seriously intense. So I think he's been able to to turn form around and improve the way we're playing when the pressure was at its absolute highest. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. And I think it does miss the point about injuries earlier in the season and as we've said or as I've said it's not that's not excuses it's just fact and look at how much better we've moved the ball and scored once you know Wright's had Jones and Stringer and Langford alongside of him if that's not Langford playing on Sunday it's you know a, a youngster who's still learning his craft and doesn't have the skill and experience to pop into a hole four times and, and score those goals and we lose the game so it makes such a significant difference uh, and then you know we did the comparison a couple of weeks ago of of how we've been tracking post round nine. So just a bit of an update on where we're at since then. We're, we're down 18 points a game against. So we're, we're conceding three less goals a game. Uh, letting Brisbane score 90 on the weekend. And then obviously the shootout against um, West Coast was, was a little bit disappointing. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement there and, and yeah, not shying away from that at all. 
We've had three more inside 50s a game and we're conceding seven less. So we're, we're definitely doing a better job of getting the ball you know, deep into our forward line as well and uh, and slowing down the opposition ball movement. Centre clearance differentials um, up to plus four and stoppages down. Sorry, stoppages up as well to, to plus one and a half. Both areas of the game we were losing out on. Our contested possession differentials plus 13 and our uncontested is plus 20. So we're... You know, we're winning more contested ball and uncontested ball around the ground than, than we were by a significant margin pre-round nine or up to and including round nine. And our tackle differential post-round nine is plus nine, which is the second best in the AFL. Um, we're also getting four more inside 50 tackles a game. So, yeah, there, there's been real improvement um, and it's happened as we've got some players back and that's no surprise. So, yeah, I uh, yeah, there, there were some comments about us celebrating like we just won the flag. I don't think there's anything wrong with guys enjoying winning, mate. That you know, we've we've obviously never played a late sport, but I think we've both played enough local sport to know that winning's a lot better than losing, and uh, and it should be celebrated that way. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's just the the hope then is that this, this improvement in the second half of the season is able to be rolled through to the first half of next season, and and hopefully, you know, there's there's a better start. I guess, although where we're, where we're going to be positioned on the ladder, we're probably going to get a, an easier draw that allows us to, uh, you know, work into the season a bit better than, than hitting up three top four sides uh, in the first the first three rounds. So moving on. Imagine, so just, oh, I was just going to touch, sorry, mate, I was just going to add it. And imagine it makes it a bit more of an interesting proposition for potential free agents to want to come. If we had finished out the year the same way that we started it, I'm not sure there'd be too many guys lining up to come and play at Essendon. That helps with re-signing guys. It helps with attracting guys to the club. So, yeah, wins are good, mate. Let's keep doing it. Absolutely. Well, let's let's hope it continues on this week as, as we start to look at the Suns. And uh, fortunately, this, this week, we get to actually look at some selection, although as a Sunday game, it's still the extended bench. So for Essendon, the ins are Menzi, potentially for his debut. Uh, Redmond's back from health and safety protocols and Waterman. So that means the extended bench is Ham, Menzi, Redmond, Hobbs, Phillips, D'Ambrosio, Snelling, and Waterman. Now, it used to be that if you were named on the field, you pretty much were guaranteed to play, although that's sort of that rule's been broken in the last uh, last few rounds, I've noticed at times. So this might not be the people that they're selecting from, but let's just assume that they're selecting from the extended bench. Other than Redmond, who I consider 100% lock, I could, I could see arguments for most of those players playing and, and some of those players missing out. Do you have any uh, thoughts about how how the uh, the four bench players will be selected? Yeah, I'd imagine Hobbs would be a lock. I, I know he was going to be rested a couple of weeks ago, but I would think he would play. He had low time on ground last week. I think it was about 65 or 68%. So I think they've just kind of managed his minutes rather than giving him a complete rest. D'Ambrosi, I think, would be pretty sore. He, he looked pretty sore post-match and was obviously subbed out last week. He, you know, corkies can be funny things and... Uh, you probably wouldn't take a risk with a young player when you got Redmond coming back. So, uh, so yeah, that that might just be the straight swap there. And and Menzi did go up to Brisbane as an emergency with the team last week and was uh, did head out onto the ground post match with Ham to do um, you know match simulations and, and extra running, which I'm pretty sure the other emergencies who travelled didn't do. So I don't know whether that's a sign that they just wanted to get some extra miles into his legs with a bit of a view that he'd be a chance to play this week. So. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd be in the mix, I'm, but I'm not sure. Two Ruckman, do we do we want or need them this week uh, against Wits? You know, the 
the option to to over, outwork him and, and run um, against a standalone ruckman, or do you go the other way and just allow Draper to go head to head and and <clears throat> second ruck right? I'm I'm not sure, man. I'm a bit with you. I can see reasons for every anyone and everyone. Um, I'm hoping hoping that we might go Redmond for D'Ambrosio, give D'Ambrosio a rest and, and bring Menzi in for Phillips and get another small forward into the side. Yeah, I think I think I'd like to see that. So yeah, Menzi, Redmond, uh, Hobbs and, and Snelling. Snelling there, but as you say, like Phillips they might they might have Phillips as the sub again. You know, that they, they yep. did that a couple of weeks ago with when Draper was rucking one out and just in case there was that, you know, break glass in case of emergency situation. So they might they may roll with that again. We're looking at the Sun, so again extended bench. They have McPherson, uh, Rankin, probably the big name coming back in there, Farah and Markov, and then Roses out. So Rankin sort of straight swap for Roses and, and probably is a, a better better player than, than Roses in that in that role, a dangerous forward role. Uh, yeah, any, any comments on, on their selections? or No, I'd, I'd, I mean, without knowing the health of the rest of the list, I'd imagine that, you know, after a big win last week, they'd be looking to make minimal changes. And, you know, it's, it's like for like, albeit an upgrade really, isn't it? So... I'd imagine they just make the one change. Yeah. Well, let's let's start looking at Gold Coast, and you actually, you actually hype, you've been hyping something up that I found that I that I discovered uh, earlier in the week. Um, so we'll get to that. And we'll see if people um, agree with you about um, how interesting this stat is. But for for Essen and Gold Coast, it's actually the first time that Essen's had a home game against the Gold Coast since 2016. There's a few teams like this where we we seemingly always play them away. I think that's the, the curse of being a big club, especially against uh, some teams that need to need to draw crowds. So, you know, you, you, the more the better you can get winning away, I guess, is is good for your side. So, I, I guess there's there benefits to that. Um, they've also been in really good form. They're, they're, they're sneaking up there on on the eight uh, since the bye. They've gone two and two, and, and the two losses have been under a goal each. So they've been riding games, and overall they've won six of the last nine. So they're really they're really coming very hard, and I think. You know, they're, they're a sneaky chance of, of getting into the getting into the uh, top eight if, if results fall their way. Um, they've only played once at Marvel this year, and that was a, a, a comfortable loss to the Dogs. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they play a ground that they're not too familiar with. And so here it is. This is the this is the stat that Jono's been building up. So they have the highest kick to handball ratio in the league. So they kick one point nine seven times for every handball. And so I went. I went back and looked at the stats, and I hope I've done this right. But the, the last team to have a higher uh, kick to handball ratio was Collingwood in two thousand and seven. And as you pointed out when when I point when I mentioned this to you, Collingwood was playing that really slow chip mark sort of game, uh, which Cold Coast aren't doing because they have the they have the lowest ratio of kick to marks. So it basically means they're not controlling the ball. So I haven't watched too many Gold Coast games, but they're they're seemingly using the kick to get get distance and control territory. And then what that also leads to is that they're, they're average for marks inside 50, but they're the second highest for tackles inside 50. So there seems to be a real aim to get the ball in as quickly as possible, create uh, create contests that leads to uh, opportunities for their, their small forwards to, to tackle and create pressure uh, because they also have the fourth highest inside 50. So I think that's where someone like, uh, you know, I think that's why they they went for a Levi Casbolt. You know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna be the greatest player in the world, but you know that with someone like him, he's either gonna mark the ball or he's very unlikely to be outmarked. And I think that plays really well with their their game style. In terms of, uh, but they're also the third lowest for points per inside fifty. So 
just an interesting point from that is Melbourne is actually the second lowest. So one of the top teams is the second lowest, but they're giving themselves so many opportunities, generating so many inside 50s that it, it's still working for them. Another thing to look at is they have the second worst uncontested possession differential. So they're the only, so this is, you know, bear, bear with me, they're the only team with a positive contested possession differential that has a negative cont- uncontested differential. So again, what that suggests to me is that they're winning in contested situation and they're not wasting, t- they're not, you know, moving the ball by hand or, you know, trying to, trying to get control of the ball. They're trying to move it forward really quickly. So I guess just from looking at the stats, as I said, I haven't watched too many Gold Coast games, but my feeling is that the aim is to kick at every opportunity, take territory and use their small forwards to try and keep the ball in the forward line to create opportunities and that the, the quality of the ball movement isn't as important as the, as the quantity in terms of moving it forward. So Bate, do you think that's a fair assumption of their game style? Yeah, it is, Matt. I have watched a fair bit of them because I think they're they're quite fun to watch. And uh, yeah, watched their game last week against the Tigers. And um, yeah, they're they're an interesting one. They're they're really unique in in the way that they go about it. As as you mentioned, that that kick to handball ratio is is the highest in the league and and the highest since two thousand and seven. I mean, a lot of footy's been played between now and then. But I, I guess to expand on that a little bit further, what's really unique about it is they're they're ninth in the AFL for kicks and 17th for total disposals so they're not getting a lot of the footy uh they're just not handballing it and they're 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 typically just kicking you know more often than not looking to kick the ball long and and as you said control territory that way uh you know you mentioned their their inside 50s and they're right up there for that uh they're fifth in the AFL but also 18th for disposal efficiency so it is a bit of a hat kick get to the contest move the ball up the ground move to the next one type of situation and and yeah as we as you said you know that they aim to take territory by moving the ball long and, and using the likes of Chol and Casbolt he's a really good um competitor Sam Day when he's back um you know they bring the ball to ground get number to the contest and then and then kick long again to the next contest so contested ball is really important to why they play they're, they're number one in the competition for that uh Tuke Muller's number three in the AFL Matt Rowell's number five so yeah two two of their midfielders in the top five in the AFL. And then they're well supported by Noah Anderson and Jared Witts, who are both in the top sort of 35 or so players in the comp and David Swallow not far behind. So having come off a a team like Brisbane where our impetus was to win contested balls so we could then get the ball on the outside and control it um, and limit their their ability to control possession and kick mark. We now come up against an opponent that are, are pretty much the opposite. They they want to kick long to, you know, ideally a player on the lead, but but they're happy to kick to a contest, compete, and then contest again, and, and then move the ball on to the next uh, the next contest, and then use their really empty out their forward line and bring their dynamic forwards into the game. So you know, Charles is as good I think on the ground as he is in the air, and. Also, Rankin, Ainsworth, and Holman are, are three guys who are, are small forwards for all intents and purposes, but can kick creative goals, but can also lead mark and, and even take contested marks as well. So, yeah, I think it's a, a really unique challenge for us this week, and, and we're playing a side that's that's confident in really good form, and they found a, a way that they like to play and and executing on it really really well. Yeah, so based on that, it sounds like it's a really big game for our, our small defenses, defenders, your McGraths, your Hines, your Redmonds, Kelly obviously uh, playing small like he did on Charlie Cameron. I think, you know, that their, their, their games on this weekend is probably going to go a long way in terms of us us winning the game if they're able to limit 
those small forwards of, of Gold Coast. But what in terms of players, what who's who stood out for you that you, you want to talk about before we get on to the tactics? Yeah, it's probably not anyone that people don't don't really know. But Jared Witz is the number one uh, ruckman in the AFL for hitouts. He's had 103 more hitouts than any other player this season. So, uh, so yeah, he he's the, the really effective ruckman. Uh, he's also 18th in the AFL of uh, for stoppage clearances, which is the most of any ruckman. So yeah, he's hugely important for them. He's their captain. He's he's obviously a strong leader. He's got that big body around stoppages, and I think he's massively underrated. And I don't think he's getting talked about in in all Australian circles, but he he really should be. So he's one. And then Ben Ainsworth is another one who is the type of player, again, a bit like Lincoln McCarthy last week, who can do some damage on us. It was, you know, pick four back in 2016. So he was a high-profile junior and and taken early in the draft. But he's kicked 21 goals this year, which is seven more than his his next best, which was actually his debut season. So I think he's the matchup for Kelly this week. He plays closer to goal than, say, someone like Rankin. Uh, And, you know, he's only a small forward at 179 centimetres, but he does play taller. He does like to mark. He's eighth in the AFL for goal assists. So he's really good at, at bringing other players into the game. So I think... Uh, I think for those reasons, he's the one that, that Kelly should go to. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I guess moving on to the, the match tactics then. So obviously we've identified that they, they want to kick and, and they're happy to, you know, sort of almost dumb kick to a contest. Is Are you able to are you able to stop that? Because it's, you know, it's so, uh, it's so innate and they're just doing it. They're not necessarily trying to be clever with how, they move the ball. Is there a way to force them to handball or do you have to try and beat them at the game that they're, they're trying to play? Their yeah, forwards get really organised. So so even though they are, you know, for all intents and purposes, at times dump kicking, they they are pretty effective at getting it to point parts of the ground where they have a, you know, a one-on-one. So, uh, yeah, I, I think one way is to try and force them to handball more. I think it's going to be a, a big test for our press, Um yeah, so if we can really pressure their kicker, but more importantly, set up behind the ball and uh, so try and create outnumbers, but then also have more numbers of the contest before Gold Coast can get their next wave of, of numbers there to try and move it down to the next contest. So I think we give a um, uh, yeah, we give ourselves a really good opportunity of, of taking their game away from them. In, in their losses, they've had 23, on average, 23 less kicks per game. So you can really see that their effectiveness come down when, when teams can press up on them and force them to, to either handball or or create intercepts in your forward half. So, yeah, and then just to expand on that, I guess so three or four other points that I'd be looking on for this week. Uh, I, I think we, we need to use all of our forwards this week. We, we did it well last week as we talked about finding Langford in space a number of times and right got on the lead. I think we can't be predictable this week and let them set up. Sam Collins, they've got a really underrated back line. I think Sam Collins is a really, really good player. Charlie Ballard and Caleb Graham, who's only a young guy down there, do a really good job. And if we let them group together, we let them intercept or spoil or get the game on our terms, then that helps them set up the way that they want to play. So I think using all of our forwards is going to be really important, whether that's um, isolation, whether that's um, you know right getting on the lead or or others popping into space midfield as long in their eyes. I think there's a, a number of ways that we can go about it. But we're just going to make sure that we're not we're not predictable when we go inside inside 50. Uh, I think winning the first quarter is really important. Gold Coast are, are really slow starters. They've only won the three first quarters this year, which is the second worst in the AFL. 
behind, obviously, North Melbourne. And they've been outscored by a total of 105 points across the season in, in Q1. So, yeah, start the game well. Give ourselves some – put some scoreboard pressure on, on what's still a pretty young Gold Coast side coming to Marvel for just the second time this year in front of what will be, a, a, obviously, a pro Essendon crowd. So, I think that's really important. Um, we've spoken about contested ball and stoppages. They're, they're plus four and a half at stoppages when they win and, and minus three in their losses. They're plus 19 in contested ball when they win and, and drop all the way down to uh, negative nine and a half in their losses. So we, we just need to be hard and, and ruthless at the contest and, and win more than our share. Um, they're also the number one team for exiting stoppage through the front of the stoppage. So you know, rather than like we try to do, trying to get the ball back into the corridor. Some teams will try and go boundary side or even backwards before they go forwards. They'll just try and burst through. Wits will try and get the ball over um, and and try and come out the front of the stoppage and, and get the ball going their way. So I think it's an area, uh, and I think it all starts with Tuk Mula. So uh, he's the one that I think we should try and replicate what we did on Neil last week. And, and if Coldwell's up to it again and can back up, um, two weeks in a row, you know, I guess we've got to keep in mind he's a young player who's had a lot of injury concerns. Uh, if he's up for it, let's do it. If he's not, maybe we have a look at Hobbs who, who had restricted minutes last week and see whether he can do it. Or we just tag team and we rotate. Um, you know, Everyone takes their turn. But I'd, I'd definitely be doing everything that we can to restrict uh, Tuk Miller's effectiveness. Uh, and then the last one, mate, I think we we really need to get that run from behind. I think that's really important. The Suns are one of the better teams in the AFL of stopping the opposition from sort of marking the ball and, and kick mark, and, and, and they really will get up to you. But run from behind can really be a, a big weapon against that. So I think we can we can take away their contested game as well if we can keep the ball mobile, keep moving it, um, and then you know ties back into the first point of, of isolating our forwards. So I think it's a big one for Redmond, for Hyde, D'Ambrosio if he plays, McGrath, obviously and our wingers to just really put the ball under the arm, <clears throat> take take the game on, but also overlap run. Absolutely. And as always, we'll we'll look back at this at the uh look back at this at the, the show next week and, and see how much of the predictions played out or where where things went wrong. But I guess as always we finish with our, our final thought and my final thought this week is about Harry Jones. I guess are you at all concerned about how he's come back? It seems that he's last year when he was when he was he was going, he was really good at uh, he was really good at judging his marks and, and being able even you know floating across the front of packs. He doesn't seem to be doing that yet in the six games come back. Is there any any concerns there, or is he simply a young player not um, not adjusting after a long time out? No, absolutely not, mate. I, no concerns at all. I think he's he's just missed a lot of footy. I think last week he really did play a, a bit of a sacrificial role and. Uh, copped Adams for a lot of the game and, and really made sure that Adams couldn't go and help Payne against Wright. I don't think Wright has the game he does if if Jones doesn't do what he did. I think, you know, only kicked the one against the Swans, but the three games before that, he kicked two goals in each game. So, you know, multiple goal kickers kick it three times in a row. So he's finding ways to hit the, goal, the, the scoreboard without playing exceptionally well. So yeah, still still took the five marks last week, got out the ground a little bit more. So mate, yeah, he he's building okay and, and learning his craft again. He'll be fine. Excellent. So yeah, well, hopefully maybe this week he, he, he gets to get off the leash a bit and and you know has a game where you know he, he can stamp his authority on it 
Well, that's going to that's gonna wrap us up for this week. I want to say thank you to uh, everyone who's who's contacted us and, you know, sent really positive messages to us. I wanna, also want to say thank you to everyone who's listened live. Uh, really appreciate all your support. And, yeah, those if you do listen live, please, please feel free to always to put your hand up and if you've got any questions to ask because, yeah, it's always good to hear from, from different voices. Any Anything final from you, Jono? No, especially when our voices are, are on the go, mate. We might have to put ourselves out with health and safety protocols, I think. No, uh, thanks for your work. Once again, mate, thanks for doing the interview with Todd. It was the first uh, episode I've actually listened to. So, uh, yeah, that was great, mate. And I'm looking forward to the one that you're, you're doing tomorrow night as well. So, yeah, thanks for your huge effort as always. And, uh, yeah, let's hope we can make it three from three. Absolutely. Go Dons. Cheers, mate.